getting into Nehemiah 8, I'm going to go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Father God, we just pray to thank you uh, that we could come together and, and look at Nehemiah and what you did through his life and, and how it was that he led people um, into starting this, this entirely new city of Jerusalem uh, from the ground up, rebuilding the walls and then starting the church from the ground up. And so, Father, as we dig into Nehemiah 8 today, uh, and we, we see what worship looks like back then and how we should uh, worship today, um, that you would speak to us in truth and that we would be able to hear your voice. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to go through Nehemiah 8. Again, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, we're going to stick within the first six verses. And yes, there will be a point where I have to read off some names. So you missed it last week because I skipped all the names and numbers of people. This week, I'm actually going to read some of them. So you can get a good laugh in as I try and pronounce some of the names. So to, to start, Nehemiah 8, as we went over last time, is, is Nehemiah starting to establish the church and the people in Jerusalem. Now that the wall was completed, now that all the people started coming back. We're getting into this new section of Nehemiah, which is about setting up the church in Jerusalem again, or the temple and the people. And so Nehemiah 8 introduces Ezra um, to us uh, and the start of what the worship looks like. And so we're going to look at what biblical worship looks like back in the day with Nehemiah. So starting 1 through 6. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra and the scribe stood at the wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And besides him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his, on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashabanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So those six verses are going to be the main talking points of our message today. And looking at what church and worship looks like back in their day, and then kind of comparing it to what we do nowadays. And how there are some very distinct differences in their approach. And we're going to go through... Verse by verse. And so verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And so before I even get started, the idea that it says they gathered as one man, 
in the translation of this, it talks about just humanity. So they gathered together united, which is very awesome to see. Where we look at church today, and we have 37 million denominations of Christianity that all separate us just based on the kind of chairs you sit in, whether it's chairs or pews. Here, that didn't matter because they were gathering under the one God, and that's what mattered. And so that right there is probably one of the biggest biggest differences right away from old church to new church. We would rather separate ourselves from each other than be unified, which is, which is really harsh to, to look at. But so moving on, it said that their meeting place was at the water gate. And now we know as we looked at the building of the wall, there were a bunch of different gates. They could have held it anywhere. They could have held it in the town square where it would be in the middle. And so everyone would be able to get to it easily. But they chose the water gate for a purpose. The water gate back in the time of, of cities with big walls around and, and stuff like that was their source of life. Water is a life-bringing source. God, for us, is our life-bringing source. And so the, the intentionality of meeting at the water gate was done purposely. Not only the physical signification of the water gate, but the spiritual one as well. And so what's interesting is their immediate setting was a place of life bringing. Which, to me, if, if I go, I spend a lot of time in coffee shops because that atmosphere is, is one that I know I can sit down, read, I can cancel everyone out if I need to, but I'm able to have intentional time at a coffee shop, whether it's meeting with someone or doing my own thing. I can't do that at home. I can't do that in my car. And so I have one specific place that I can go to do that. Reading my Bible at home just doesn't happen. I get distracted way too easily. And so for the same way that I have my own intentional place that I have to do scripture reading and my time with God, they met in a very intentional place that put them in this mindset of, I'm about to be fed. I'm about to receive life from God. Beautiful. Everyone say hi to Mimi. She's watching. Hi, Mimi. (laughs) All right. And then, so we already talked about the people coming together unified, but they came voluntarily. It wasn't them being dragged to church. It wasn't that they were forced to be there. They came voluntarily. Today, we have uh, an issue where we we feel like we have to go to church. It's, it's an obligation for us. And in here, we see that the people wanted to be there. They didn't drag themselves. It wasn't, oh crap, we lost an hour of sleep. I'm going to wait today. I'll go next week when I'm rested. It's voluntarily going because they knew the, the importance of being with God in, in God's word. And I think something else that's interesting is they asked 
Ezra to read the law. It wasn't that Ezra was there ready to speak on some specific topic or to read a section of scripture. But at the end, it says, And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. So the crowd went and they decided on what was going to be read. I'm sure they had a whole bunch of different scrolls and were ready. But what this does is this speaks to the teachers of the law back in the day. They had to be ready to speak or read anything that the people wanted. Which is reverse of what we do in church today. The pastor shows up with a message and is going to talk to the people about something. Instead of allowing the people to to be a part of that decision process. And I think it speaks to the level of knowledge and, and wisdom that old teachers had in Hebrew schooling played a big deal into that because they had to memorize it, and we're not held to that standard nowadays, which, thank goodness, I would not pass. Um, And so there is a little bit difference of a time frame, but I think allowing the people, allowing the congregation of a church to be able to impart some decision on what the church goes over as a group, as a body, is important. Because it's not just what I want to give to you guys. It's You guys are here to hear a message, and God could be speaking to you on something very important, or going through a book that is speaking and that you want more. And so, as as pastors, we are here to serve you, not vice versa. And so, it's interesting that they were allowed to choose the message that Ezra read for this time. Now, we'll go to verse 2. We see in verse 2 that the setting, it says that the first day of the seventh month, and now this was in the time of a holy convocational day. It was seen as a Sabbath. It was a, a feast, of the, feast of the horns or feast of the rams, something like that. So this was a pretty big, big day for them. And so what's, what's nice is, is the setting, when they were able to come together, was already primed for people to be not doing any work. It was just, let's go and, and worship God. And then we get into people again. People is a, a recurring theme for all of Nehemiah. But here it's the people of the church, the people that come to listen, are the most important aspects. We see that God cares about all people here in truth and coming to him. And so without people, a church or a meeting like this doesn't happen. It says all those who could understand. It says men and women, and then all who can understand. And so what this gets at is men and women cover everybody, except for children, maybe, or outsiders. And so what this is getting at is it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, God will reveal and give you understanding if you are available for him too. I was having a conversation with someone just yesterday that said that they wish they had more understanding so that they could then go and give understanding to other people. It's like, well, you have that capability if you make yourself available to it. And come to find out, time in the Word isn't very, very much, or it doesn't happen very often, and they don't seek 
deeper understanding. It's like, well, so you limit yourself. And we often do that in multiple areas of our life. We limit what God is able to do because we set up our own standards. We think we can only understand a certain amount of things. Now you give me like physics or something, yeah, I'm not going to understand that. But scripture, the cool part is, is that's not on me to understand. God will reveal it to me if I allow him to. And so we just have to be open to that possibility, to what God is able to do instead of what we ourselves are able to do. And if we're honest, the Bible's tough. It is not an easy book to understand. And so for us to to be hard on ourselves or to, to not chase after knowledge or understanding more just because we think we can't do it is telling God that I'm not smart enough for you to allow me to understand this. It's limiting the Spirit's ability to reveal mystery and truth and knowledge to us. Moving on to verse 3. Just this quicker is. Ugh. All right, moving on to, the, to, to 3. This one is the one that hit me the hardest. It's the commitment of the people. Now, I remember when I was younger, I had some friends that were Catholic, and they'd be at church from like 8 in the morning till noon. And I'm like, whoa, no thank you. Bless you. Give me a 45-minute service, and I'm still chomping at the bit to get away. But here in, uh, in verse 3, we see that it says that they started reading at daybreak till noon. Now, I checked online what time the sun came up this morning in Jerusalem, and it was 5.53. Noon is midday. That means for over six hours, they read scripture and worshipped God together. How would you guys feel about hearing me talk for six hours? <laughs> yeah, not a lot of excitement. But the commitment here was of excitement. They wanted to do that. And we struggle today reading a chapter of the Bible, which on average takes maybe five to seven minutes. And they cleared out a fourth of their day to hear Scripture. And so for us, we see that there's a a big commitment issue besides how much time will I give God versus thinking how much time does God deserve of me? Which those two answers are always vastly, vastly different. And then we see the reaction of the people. At the end, it says that they listened attentively. Now, I'm guilty of this back when I sat at church all growing up, and sometimes even now if I'm tired, attentive is not a word in my vocabulary most mornings for church growing up. I was always trying to find something to keep me busy, to keep me awake, so that I didn't get yelled at. Right? Even as an adult, I found myself sitting at church and often thinking about other things rather than the message. And so what that does is, to to me, that's a slap in the face to God, because I'm there physically to listen to what God has to say, but in my mind and in my heart, I can care less. There's a fun skit that I like to do when 
when conveying the idea of worship to college students or to young kids. Um, and I have people sit in a row and we sing the song Amazing Grace. And three people sing it beautifully and then one person sings it absolutely horrendous. And we just sing the first verse and then we go through and each person takes time singing what's really in their heart. And the three people that sing beautifully are singing different lyrics in their heart. They're singing about a boy that they think is cute, about work that's stressing them out, or the fact that they just don't want to be there. And so while on the outside it looks like they're worshiping God very intently and, and, and personally, on the inside they're not worshiping him at all because their mind and their heart is elsewhere. But the person that sings terribly comes in and then they sing beautifully because they're actually singing and worshiping God. And so in the same way, coming to church and, and being attentive to the message, to the word of God that is being spoken, is very much the same way. If I come to church and I'm sitting there and my mind is going a million other directions instead of wanting to get what God has to speak to me, I might as well have not even showed up. Because... I'm telling God, hey, I'm here physically, that's what matters, but I'm going to do me while you try and speak to me. Just calm your voice so I can plan my day and do what I need to do, instead of us coming in and realizing this is a moment that God wants to speak to me, that God has, has carved out for us to be together and giving him that time. And so that's just, that that to me was was really powerful that it was such an important aspect to know. They could have just said the people gathered and listened. But the importance of the idea of attentively listening, we all know there's a difference between just listening and active listening. And God wishes for us to actively listen to what it is that he's trying to to speak to us. All right, then we get into verse 4, and this is where all the names that I'm sure I butchered half of them. But the, the fun thing is we see that Ezra had assistance, right? So it wasn't him just reading for six hours. I'm sure he had to take a break to use the bathroom or something like that. And so he had people alongside him so that they could come and step forward. Much like there are sometimes on a sermon, I'll ask you to, to be interactive, Right? I think that helps keep people attentive, um, and my voice gets mundane at times, right? I get that. And so Ezra has a bunch of people to his left and to his right, and another aspect is he honors fellow teachers. Ezra's just not the main guy, but there's these all these other people that anyone in the crowd is able to go up to and talk to and, and approach and know that they are going to be taught the word of God in a, uh, a good way. And so at this point, I want to pause really quick. I had asked someone earlier if we could honor them in the service that they give to the church because it goes unsaid. Uh, I see I'm already regretting saying yes. Uh, Rick, if you would stand up. So so a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a meeting and we wanted to make Rick an elder of the church. Rick is here every service early, setting up the chairs, taking the sign in and out. And so we wanted to value, and I wanted to honor him today in the service that he does to the church as 
someone who's just important to the body as Steve or myself or Alicia as the treasurer or all of the people that you know are in leadership. We have those that are the same and deserve just as much honor. So I thank you. All right, so verse 5, we start to get into looking at Ezra and what Ezra was to the people. And so Ezra and how he led people with with this scripture is completely different than how I go about it. And so I need to check myself and how I do this. So when, when Ezra goes up and he opens the word, we see a reaction of the people. But we also see that Ezra takes the, the word up and he sets it up there so the people of the crowd would know that anything Ezra says is coming from Scripture. And now, when I, when I think about this, there are times where I go and I, I talk with people about Scripture or whatnot, and I don't have the Bible with me. And so they could think I'm just either feeding nonsense or not speaking God's Word. And so there's an idea that actually having the physical Word of God puts into people's mind that, oh, he's speaking of truth. There's, there's value and importance in just the physical manifestation of God's Word. Right? You get into people with the whole ebook movement that they would not even use a virtual Bible, that a physical Bible is necessary. I, as a tech person, I agree. There's very little replacement of the physical Word of God. Now, God can do whatever He wants, and so a virtual Bible you know, can get the job done, but actually carrying this around is a symbol of not only of... of of honor for me that I am a keeper of God's word, which is awesome. But he opens it in a, in a state of solemnity. Solemnity. Yes. I had to look up how to, that's a tongue twister. Right? And what that means is he does it with an earnestness and in a gratefulness. And so I think oftentimes we take, we take the Bible and God's word for granted. I often leave a Bible in the back of my car just on a seat because I never know when I'm going to need it instead of in a place where it's not going to get something put on top of it or, or it's not going to get dusty because I'm using it. And so there's an idea that we, I think we often just think of this as another book. Oh, my table's wobbly, grab the first thing, oh, it's a Bible, whatever, just put it under. That's not how the word of God should be treated. Nor, you know, one of my things is I normally just toss a whole bunch of stuff in the back of my car. I shouldn't just be throwing my Bible in the back of my car. And so there's, it's a, a really cool picture to see Ezra come out, and I'm sure his scroll is, like, massively large. And he does it with care and purpose when he's with God's Word because of the idea of how important, how important the Word of God is. And I think for us, a lot of it is just the ease of getting a new Bible is just as simple as going to Walmart or ordering one off of Amazon. So we have a, a mass supply where they didn't. They had people that I'm sure made copies on scrolls, but that took a very long time to rewrite the whole thing. It takes us five minutes, or if we're really lazy, two days free shipping with Amazon Prime. Right? And then... It's, it's that simple. And so 
I think through that we have lost a respect for the Bible. We've lost a respect for just how powerful and important God's Word is to us. I don't even buy a case for my Bible because it's, I just, I, and I'm very guilty of this. It's, it's a, a book. That's how I've always viewed it. Um, but Ezra punched me in the face by showing that I need to do elsewise. And then we see the reaction of people, and we've talked and used the word reverence or, or reverent in, in fear and respect. And we see that when Ezra opens up the scroll, the people stand in respect to God's word. And now in, in social practices, standing is, is a common thing to show respect to other people. You're out on a date, girl shows up, guy stands as she sits down. You know, stuff like that. We stand to say the Pledge of Allegiance. All the things that we want to show respect to, we stand. And yet, in church, we sit. Sitting is a sign of not respect. It's the opposite. Now, I'm not going to say I'm, you guys have to stand for sermons, because that would be weird and it talks about Ezra being in a place where all could see him. If you guys stood, then I would need to get a ladder. Because <laughs> you wouldn't be able to see me. Right? And so, yeah, times have changed a little bit. But I want to take this not as a physical standing, but an internal standing. That our heart would be reverent in at the attention of hearing God's word. And so while physically you can sit there and be comfortable, letting your heart stand in awe and reverence of the Word of God. Verse 6, before we get ready to close up, we see the reaction of people after the Word. After Ezra gets done singing or talking and reading the scriptures, they say, Amen, Amen which means truly, truly, or verily, verily. We hear Jesus say that all the time. And it's the confirmation of, yes, that is the word word of God. And then they bury their face in the ground in humility. They know know that they just heard the truth of God, the voice of God, and understanding that they aren't, really deserving of even being in God's presence, and so they bow in humility after hearing what God just said. Now, a a lot of old churches used to kneel and pray, and and sometimes you would kneel during reading services, and then people started getting knee problems, and so that became non-existent. And so again, looking at this in in an internal sense, rather the physical sense of allowing our hearts to bow to God knowing I I am undeserving of hearing his word and his truths, but God chose me to be able to. God loved me enough to still give me his word and his truths. And so knowing in my heart that while I'm undeserving, he allows me that privilege. And humbling myself and knowing my place amongst all of us.
So really quick before we, before we end, look at our worship. And so as, as we're thinking about, you know, you might be sitting there going, oh man, I need to change up the way I do things, which I know I need to. One thing is having an intentional setting, a time, a place where it's like, okay, this is my God time. This is where I'm going to do it. This is when. And letting that be consistent. One thing with consistency is we hold that at a high value. And so while, yes, getting into the word daily is good, knowing that, God, you have this block of time that nothing is going to get in the way of puts God at a very high priority. And so carving out whatever time, I'm not going to say that there's a time limit, but carving out an intentional amount of time and having a spot where you and God meet intentionally is important. In school, oftentimes they tell you to study where you're going to take the test so that the atmosphere in your body just reacts to it. And so in the same way with God, if we go to the same place and do things at the same time, naturally our body will immediately start thinking in that thought process. Second is to be attentive. Try and take away as many distractions as possible. There's a common saying that when people come home from stressful jobs to like leave work at the door and come in and be a part of the family. I think churches should be the same way. Leave life at the door and come in and be willing to and ready to hear what God has to say to you. Now, does that mean you still can't talk to people about life or, or let people in on what life is going? No, because we're here as one and we should live life together. But the distractions of life should be at the door. And third, a sense of reverence and solemnity, of the respect of the word of God, standing and reverence internally and at our hearts being at attention to what God has to say, but also knowing to be humble in that prayerful lifestyle of, you know, every once in a while we might need to physically hit our face to the ground. But whenever we approach God, that that should be our state, that our hearts should be humbled and bowing to God. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray to thank you for for your word and just uh, a perfect example of what coming and worshiping you looks like. God, that that in in your presence we should be attentive and our, our ears and our hearts should be willing to listen to what it is that you have to tell us. Oftentimes we we think that we, you know, you're not there talking to us, but more often than not, it's probably we're not willing to listen or we're distracted by life so that we can't hear your voice. God, also that we would we would keep in mind that, that the Bible, that your, your word is, is a powerful object and it demands respect, and so that we, even though we can uh, attain a copy of it very easily, we should not treat it as just another book, but as your living word and as your truth. Father, I just pray that we would remember who we are amidst you, and that we should be humble when we approach you, and knowing that you are a great God, 
our loving Father and approach you in such a manner that, that we realize that we need you and without you, we can do nothing. So Father, we pray to thank you for, for your truths and, and the words that you have spoken to us through Nehemiah. We pray this in your son's name.